<laughs> hey, good morning. Central Hope, I'm going to ask that you come and take your seat once again as we study God's Word. We are going through the book of John, and this morning we come to John 17, a very significant passage of Scripture in the Bible. This is what is known as Jesus' high priestly prayer. And it's considered a high priestly prayer because he is interceding on behalf of himself and his people. That's what priests did in the Old Testament. They would intercede on behalf of the people of God. So this is why we call it the high priestly prayer. If you have your Bible, you can see the little footnote or the, the little italicized part above the scripture. Usually it says high priestly prayer. And let me just say before we jump in, I am not covering this entire chapter. I mean, I, 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 when I, I, you could probably spend six months studying all that is in this. I mean, it is so rich and so packed, but we're, gonna, we're actually going to look at one thing. And if there's a title for this sermon, the title of this sermon is What Jesus Wants. What Jesus Wants. So if you have your Bible uh, or if you have a bulletin, you can follow along. It's printed for you in, in, in the bulletin. And we'll read God's word together. I will read it. You'll read along quietly. Now, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me. And they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they believe that you sent me. I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you've given me. For they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine. And I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not also ask only for these, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I and them, and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them, even as you loved me. Father, I desire 
that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. This weekend, I celebrated my sixth My daughter's sixth birthday, not my sixth birthday, (laughs) my daughter's sixth birthday, and to celebrate, we had a party at a gymnastics gym. You see, in our family, when it's your birthday, you get to choose the theme of your birthday. So inspired by the Summer Olympics, my daughter said, I want a gymnastics birthday. And so we went to this little gym yesterday, it's called literally the little gym, And the little girls and boys just ran around and had the time of their life. Why? Because it's what my daughter wanted. Now, here's a funny story. Um, A few years ago, having established this pattern of your birthday, you get what you want on your birthday, the theme of your birthday party, you get what you want. My wife decided to ask the kids, all right, what kind of party would daddy want? And without hesitation, the children said, oh, daddy wants a golf course party. Why? They know that I love golf, I play golf, and so let's get him a birthday cake that has a golf course on it. But then she asked them, well, what kind of party does mommy want? And they were stumped. And they looked, and I don't remember who it was, but one of them said, I know, a grocery store birthday party. (laughs) Kimber was like, really? That's... That's what I want, a grocery store birthday party. It's a fun joke that we remember for the the rest of our lives, but we can learn a lot from the birthday party themes that our kids can see. And I think this is what, you can simply tell what a person is by what they want. What they want is a little bit about who they are. Now, there's a Bible verse in the Old Testament that captures the essence of the Christian faith. It's Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understandings. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Simply put, trust the Lord. Our trust of the Lord, if the essence, one of the primary essence of the Christian faith is to trust the Lord, then our trust has to be rooted in something. And our trust is simply put, rooted in the knowledge of God. And so since we can learn a lot about a person by looking at what they want, isn't it a fitting question that we ask the same question about God so that we might trust him? I mean, I don't know about you, but sometimes I struggle to trust God fully. It's just like, I don't know if he is working all things for my good. Can I trust him? Again, My trust of him is rooted in my knowledge of him. And so for you and for me who deal with this doubt and struggle to trust, we have to ask the question, well, what does God want? Because in asking that question, we actually get to know who this God is. And when we get to see who God is, we actually begin to trust him. So who is this God? And what's a great question? What does he want? I think that's the beauty of John 17. If you really want to know what a person wants, listen to their prayer life. 
Listen to how they pray. And this is what we have in John 17. Jesus is praying to the Father. And he gives us exactly what he wants. Right at the beginning of his prayer. What does Jesus want? It is simply this. He wants to get glory and he wants to give glory. He wants to get glory and he wants to give glory. If we are going to trust God, we've got to know who he is. And one of the ways that we get to know who he is is by looking at what he wants. And we see that he wants glory and he wants to give glory. I want to study these two components of what Jesus wants that we all might grow in our trust of who Jesus is. That we might live the life of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. So let's study what Jesus wants. What Jesus wants. First, Jesus wants to get glory. I want us to focus primarily on the first five verses of this prayer. And let me read it again, and you can follow along. Jesus says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Did you hear it? Do you hear what Jesus wants? Jesus wants glory. It's the first thing he asked for, and it's the thing that he wants more than anything else. So why does Jesus want glory? I think there's three reasons just from these verses that we can tell that why Jesus wants glory. And we're gonna go in backwards order, verse five. First, this is what he has known. Glory is what he has known. Verse five says, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. So he has known glory before being on the earth, before the world existed. And here Jesus lets us in on his nature, that he existed for all time. He is divine, and as divine, he's the recipient of glory. And now Christians have attested to the truth of Jesus as fully God throughout all of church history. And that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God in three persons. And of course, at the, at the center of this triune God is a God of love and mutual glorification of the three persons. Simply put, Jesus wants glory because G glory is what he has known forever. And he wants it again. But secondly, he wants glory because glory is what he has earned. Look at verse 4. He says, I glorify you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Now, receiving glory, the way we think about glory, which is giving praise and honor and significance to someone, is usually tied into something that has been done. So we glory in the winning team. We glory in the obedient child and the job well done at work. This is why we glory. And Jesus, in verse 4, reminds God, the Father, that he is worthy of the glory because he has glorified God by doing the work that was given to him. Jesus earned the glory. But there's a third reason why he wants the glory. He wants the glory because this is what he is worthy of. Look again at verse two and three. He says, you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, 
whom you sent. If I were to summarize this in a nutshell, is this, this. Jesus is royalty. And as royalty, who he is, he is worthy of the glory that is, is due unto him. So Jesus says, give me the glory that is rightly mine. Jesus, more than anything, wants glory. He wants to be praised and honored and treated as he should. But the question remains for you and I, can we trust someone who asks for glory? If we're being honest with ourselves, this seems self-centered and narcissistic. Give me glory? Jesus, this is what you want? You want to be elevated, lifted up? If we've watched politics or even the church, we are learning how disastrous narcissistic leaders can be for, for groups and for societies and cultures. And by golly, it feels like Jesus is following in the footsteps of these people. Or you could say those people are following in the footsteps of Jesus. Can you trust a narcissistic leader? I mean, why would you? And while I would agree with you, you shouldn't trust a narcissistic leader, what I would say to you is Jesus is not a narcissistic leader. He is not seeking glory that remains in himself. Look with me again at verse one. What does he say? Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son. Then he gives the why. That the son may glorify you. And I'm gonna say this twice. The glory that Jesus wants is a glory that satisfies his heart. And it is a glory that he has known, earned, and desired. But this glory that he wants magnifies someone else, the Father. The glory that Jesus wants is a glory that satisfies his heart, but magnifies the Father. He is not self-centered. He is not narcissistic. He wants a glory that is rightly his, but it's a glory that then reflects on the glory of the Father. It's at the heart of the Trinity. It's at the nature of who God is. Jesus wants glory, but it's glory that might give to another. And this, my friends, is a leader we can trust. The football season started, and, and as uh, many of you did, uh, sat down and watched football games. And my family is a big Alabama family. I, I'm a Florida State guy, but my family's a big Alabama family. And so Alabama was playing Miami yesterday, and they just mopped the floor with Miami, like every time. And so after the game, they wanted to interview Bryce Young, the best quarterback on the field. He broke all of these Alabama records for the first game. And so the first thing that the interviewer did when they stuck the microphone in his face, they said, Bryce, you just did a great game. You accomplished all of these Alabama records. What do you think? And it was really interesting because he said, I think that that's great. I love that I'm able to, to break those records, but I gotta give credit to all the guys who blocked for me and ran passes for me and caught balls. And my, my father-in-law who's here right now, he goes, he gets it. He gets it. And what does he get? He gets what a real leader is, a trustworthy leader. A trustworthy leader is someone who certainly recognizes their gifts and their strengths and their abilities, but recognizes that the glory that comes unto them is only to be then reflected on others. And it's guys like that and girls like that you will run walls through. And this is exactly what we see with Jesus' desire for glory. That it is a glory that he desires, that is good and is right, and he's earned it, 
but it is a glory that does not remain in and of himself. We are called to trust the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we trust someone who wants glory, but not for himself and himself alone. He does it to reflect another. So who are you trusting? Each and every one of us are trusting someone with our life. You know that, right? Most of us follow the temptation to trust ourselves, to trust our own instinct, to trust what we see, to trust everything that we can control in our own mind. But ultimately, you have to ask the question, in trusting yourself, what do you want? What do you want? Do you want a glory that then reflects only to you? Or do you desire a glory that also is reflected towards another? My friends, trust Jesus He is the one that, yes, wanted the glory that was rightly his, but it is a glory that magnifies the Father. It is not him. It is him we trust, him we follow, him through who we burst down the brick walls that we find in our lives. We trust him because he reveals to us that what he desires is awesome. So what, what does Jesus want? He wants to get glory. But that's not all. That's not the only thing that he wants. Jesus, secondly, wants to give glory. Now, we jump down from verse 5 all the way down to verse 22, skipping over so much good stuff. But I want you to see that what Jesus wants is not only to get glory, but to give glory. Look at what verse 22 says. The glory that you have given to me, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one, I and them and you and me, that they may be perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. So I want you to get your mind wrapped around this. The glory that Jesus wanted, the glory that Jesus asked God to give him, the glory that he has earned is now a glory he is giving to his people. He has done this that we, his people, might be one with the triune God, that we might delight in it, that we might have the very thing that Jesus himself wanted, that we might have it, and that we might express it to the world. What Jesus gives to us is so profound. It is so profound. Jesus gives us glory. And this has significant personal implications and practical implications for all of us. Let me consider these two implications. First, the personal implications of the glory that Jesus has earned, received, and given for us. The glory that you have given me, he says, I have given to them. If you're like me, I'm gonna unpack what Jesus has given me. If if you're like me, you want to matter. You wanna stand out. You want to be recognized. You want to be celebrated. You want attaboys, girls. You want to be cherished. I I can remember when I was in seminary, and I've told this story several times before, but I remember having a counseling meeting, and we were reflecting on a dream. And in my dream, I I was running from this tiger. And I get to the edge of this cliff, and I jump off the cliff, and I'm holding on to this branch. And all I could say was, I just want to matter. 
I just want to matter. It's like my dream was, was, was really articulating such a huge driving motivation in my heart. I just want to matter. And as I considered the ways that I want to matter, I look back on my life and I go, man, everywhere I have been, I wanted to matter. When I was on the soccer field as a child, I wanted to score the most goals so that more people would praise me, saying, that a boy? When I went into high school, I wanted to be the captain of the soccer team so that people would be like, yeah, there's a leader. When I got into college, I wanted to be the best flag football player. You've noticed this sports theme, right? I really lean into that. When I finally got into seminary, I started to compete with my classmates about who's going to be the best communicator, who's going to plant the biggest church, who's going to pastor more people and write more books. That's how I thought you would matter. And this, this tiger that was chasing me, this desire to matter, little did I know that I had it all along. Remind you. I wish I could tell myself, and I wish my counselor told me this, the glory that you have given me, what does Jesus say? I have given to them. This desire to matter is simply a desire for glory, to be recognized, to be championed, to be embraced, and I already had it. This has profound personal implications for me, but it also has profound personal implications for you. Because each and every one of you find yourself in a neighborhood and in a job and in a community where there is that desire to matter for people to see you and to stand out. And you're going to think, if I can do better, if I can stand out, maybe, just maybe, I'll matter. I'll be glorified. And yet you're forfeiting the very glory that Jesus himself has already given you. Now, that is for those who have put their trust in Jesus. For those who have looked to Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, and ascension, saying, that's all I got. You have the glory that you've always wanted in him. But for those of you that have not looked to Jesus for your life, your death, for the life that you're coming, this could be yours as well. Are you tired of spinning your wheels looking for the glory that your heart longs for? And trust me, that desire for that, for that glory is a good thing. And you, we were, the Bible says we are made in the image of God and at the heart of God is this desire for glory. It's the giving and the receiving of glory. We saw that. You were made for glory and God himself is giving it to you. He's welcoming you into the relationship with God. Will you receive it? you'll receive the glory that you were made for. I hope you know that. This has profound personal implications for us all. I think it frees us, number one. It frees us from our fear of failure. <laughs> you failed at your job. Maybe like me, you start getting really worried. Oh gosh, I'm, gonna, I'm not gonna matter anymore. Well, you don't have to worry about failing. Guess what? You're gonna fail. We all fail. But it doesn't interrupt your glory. The glory you have is a glory that is given by Jesus. It's what he wants. Number two, it brings joy and gladness because it's yours. You can rejoice. I matter. Jesus says it himself. He's given me his glory. I've trusted him and he's given me his glory. I matter. There is joy and there is peace. 
So you see, the glory that Jesus wants to give is a glory that has profound personal implications for our life. But secondly, it has also significant practical implications for our lives. You know, Jesus' words are very personal to us, and I hope it warms all of our hearts because indeed it is good news. But this good news, we will see, it comes very practical for how we live our lives. Look at what he says, the last phrase in verse 22. So that the world, this is why he gives this glory, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Now, you don't have to look at verse one, but I think that there's a mirroring of verse one in verse 22. Recall, Jesus asks for glory that satisfies, but a glory that magnifies. A satisfying glory that magnifies the Father. Remember, it's not a glory that just remains in and of yourself. It's a glory that then is reflected towards another. And what Jesus is saying in verse 22 is the same thing. He's saying, give them the glory that they may give you glory. Now, how in the world do we give God glory? I'm gonna tell a story. I, I was mentoring and, and discipling a young man, a young professional, very talented man who grew up in the church and who knew some of these questions that I asked him. So I asked him the first question of the Westminster Shorter Catechism, which is this, what is the chief end of man? And he responded, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Good job, dude. You got it. You know the answer. That's great. But then I followed it up with this question. What does it mean to glorify God? And he looked at me, and he, he was blank stares. He had no clue what it meant to glorify God. It's a problem that he doesn't know what it means to glorify God. It's a problem that he knows the chief end of man, but he doesn't know how to get it and how to pursue it. How do we glorify God? You know what we teach our kids? By loving him and doing what he commands. We glorify God by loving him and doing what he commands. And simply put, if we want to get really biblical about that, it's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourselves. It's a very practical reality. We receive glory, why? To magnify the Father. How do we magnify the Father? By loving him and doing what he commands. And the way we understand loving him and doing what he commands is in certainly the Ten Commandments. So we choose to worship him on Sunday rather than participating in athletic events. We choose to love him and worship him rather than ourselves. We care for our neighbors because it's what becomes of us. We've received a great glory and we give a great glory. We reflect the glory that has been given to us to our neighbors and we do it through loving him and doing what he commands. Are you loving him and doing what he commands, Christian? And I say Christian, knowing that obedience does not come so that you might earn God's favor, that our obedience come because we have God's favor, that he's given us his glory, that that glory then might be reflected to God and to others, just as the glory that was given to Jesus is reflected back to the Father. So you see, the glory that Jesus wants to give and has given has incredible practical implications for how we live. How you doing? Are you loving God? Are you loving your neighbor? This is how we give 
God the glory. I hope that you are. And I pray that the Spirit would lead you in ways in which you can indeed grow in your love of God and your neighbor. I, mean, I started with the book of Proverbs, and I want to give some context to the book of Proverbs because Proverbs was written by the, arguably one of the wisest men who ever lived, a man named Solomon. When he lived, people would come from all over the world to sit at his feet and to learn from him. He knew a lot about insects. He, learned, he knew a lot about how to live life and knew a lot about, about living life wisely. And this wise man decided that he was going to pass on the wisdom that he had procured to his son. And that's what the book of Proverbs is. Now, I quoted from Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 at the beginning. And I think it's very fitting that the man who is wisest in all the world looks at his son and says, you want to be wise? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. The wisest man said, trust the Lord. This morning, I have wanted you and called you to trust the Lord. And I've called you to do this by looking at what Jesus wants. Because what a person wants reveals a significant aspect of who they are. And we have seen that Jesus wants glory. He wants to get it. He's earned it. It's who he is. It's what he was made for, and he's known it. But it's a glory that not only satisfies his heart, but it magnifies the Father. Jesus himself receives that glory and then gives it to you that you might do the same, that you might have the freedom from failure, that you might have the joy that comes from the glory that he has earned and given to you freely, and that you might reflect his glory given to you in this world, that you would worship God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. I don't know about you, but that's someone worth trusting. Trust not yourself. Trust in the one who wants that glory. Let's pray. Jesus, we give thanks to you for this prayer because it gives us insight into who you are. If we didn't have this prayer, we wouldn't know who you are or we would not certainly know less of who you are. And what you have revealed to us, it certainly moves me to trust you even more. And so I ask that I would grow in your trust, grow in my trust of you. And I would ask that you would also help my friends in this room grow in their trust of you as well. Lord, for those that, in, that are in here that don't know you, I ask that you would, you would be the hound of heaven seeking them out, that they wouldn't be able to get around this idea of glory, but a glory that magnifies you. They wouldn't get around it, and that you would seek them out, that they too would one day trust you and know the glory that you have given them. I pray all this in Jesus' name. <laughs>